0: All right, this morning we are unpacking further uh, this great prayer in John chapter 17, and we are, we are taking a slow motion run through this prayer, and I don't at all apologize for that. As a matter of fact, I, I've become aware in my own praying and just being with the Lord um, just how through the years You know, there's a lot of things in Scripture we can use as a model for our prayers. And and, and Scripture intends for that to be the case. Jesus gave a model to his disciples uh, when he gave what we call the Lord's Prayer. It's a a model. It's an outline for prayer. But but this is Jesus' outline. right? John chapter 17 is Jesus praying about the ministry of discipleship. And he's just described that, and he is transitioning to another... uh, the next thing in God, and this is this is what He prays, and so this prayer has become a bit of my own checklist, and so I'm going to show you that a little bit from the little list of twelve that's on your page there. Let me just read these these couple of verses here, and, and we'll we'll take a quick, quicker, quick look at this prayer. John 17, verse one. When Jesus had spoken these words, he lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, "Father." The hour has come. Glorify your son that the son may glorify you. Listen, since you have given him authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all whom you have given him. Let's pray for a moment. Lord, you have inspired these words to be preserved for our eyes and our soul to take them in. We get to listen in on a heavenly conversation, a hour of prayer at the dawn of a new age of your spirit and your purpose and your kingdom coming, having accomplished all that needed to be accomplished to reconcile man to yourself, So, Lord, there's so much here for us to benefit from. Lord, Lord, give us ears to hear and hearts to receive and a mind that can understand. Holy Spirit, help us. In Jesus' name, amen. J.C. Ryle was an Anglican pastor in the 1800s. I've always loved J.C. as a very helpful theologian, but he's a very practical thinker as well. He, he said this about this prayer in John 17. He says, that he often prayed, we know well. But this is the only prayer reported. Now we get little pieces of Jesus praying in other places, but you don't really get a, much of a recording of one. We have many of his sermons, parables, and conversations, but only this prayer. We have here the prayer of one who spake as never man spake, and prayed as never man prayed. The prayer of the second person in the Trinity to the father we have a prayer offered up by the lord jesus on a specially interesting occasion just after the lord's supper just after a most striking discourse just before his betrayal and crucifixion just before the disciples forsook him and fled and just at the end of his earthly ministry And also, at the beginning, at the launch of the Christian ministry, the Great Commission gets empowered by this prayer. So I've wanted us to sit in it, take it apart, pay careful attention to it, because it is Jesus praying for the mission that we're on, for the lives that we're living, for this thing called discipleship. Remember, the Great Commission is calling us to go into all the world and make disciples. Right, so that can't be dismissed by anybody in the room today or anybody watching. There is this mandate that the Son of God puts on every one of his followers that this is what your life is now about. Now, I know when you went to college and you and you went to school and you thought about what you wanted to be when you grew up, maybe, maybe you weren't thinking about that. Maybe being an athlete or a fireman or a doctor or something and that caught your attention. But in God's plan, this was what he ordained. Now he ordained those things as well, but he ordained this to describe our lives, that we would go into all the world and make disciples. And so with that in mind, this is what Jesus prays with that in mind. So I'll pick 12 things out of here. We've already hung out in one of them. He will prioritize. Here's a list. You can pray through these things. This could be a checklist for you as you climb into your prayer closet. He's going to prioritize glory. He will centralize today authority. He will define life in this prayer. He will single out a chosen people. There will be words that he will describe that must be received, they are required to be received in this prayer. He will uniquely pray for some people in a way that he does not. Pray for others. He will seek protection for us. He will ask for sanctification for us. He will feature our mission. He will prioritize our unity. He will focus on our future. And he will long for love and joy to be our experience. That's what we're going to encounter as we take this apart over the next several weeks but one of the things you're going to hear here is, is a little bit of prayer technique, right? There's a little technique element in prayer that's good. And I, I love the way Charles Spurgeon describes something. He, he described prayer almost like an attorney who prepares himself to go to court and to stand before a judge and to make an argument. And so he, I think Spurgeon in the 1800s preached a message called filling our mouths with arguments. And you may not feel that way when you come into your prayer closet that that's what you're doing. You're coming before the throne of God like an attorney. You're representing something and you're going before God and you're there to make an argument. So you're going to need some court precedent. You're going to need some preceding things that this judge has allowed and that the courts have been okay with that you can bring up before this judge. And you can say, hey, based on this, I'm asking for this. And you've done this before, so there's a precedent for me asking for this. So there's an argument being made here and Jesus does that. You see this argument, you hear it when he says, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your son so that your son may glorify you. Since, that's a big word right there, isn't it? It's not so much a request as it is the basis for why he's requesting something. I'm asking you to do something. Since you have done this, you have given me authority over all flesh. Since you did that, I'm asking for this. So this authority issue is a massive issue. It is a reason associated with our requests. It is a reason for the activity of a disciple. So to not understand this means to drain our lives from the reasons why we do things, from the reasons why we request things, from the reasons why we have a right to ask God for certain things. So if we don't get authority, and and let me just say, I'm pretty sure most of us don't get authority. We're not in good shape, and Jesus brings it up right away. He didn't get a verse into this prayer, and authority is on the table, and it's an issue. So I've titled the message, Authority, the Permit of Heaven. And it's going to touch so many things. I don't think I put this in your outline, but I just wrote myself a note. Understanding authority informs our prayer life, It informs our confidence. It informs our submission. It informs our attitudes and our humility. It informs our our formation of principles. You got an opinion about something, do you? Does, Does that opinion draw from the authority beyond yourself? Or is it just, that stops with you? Well, I just feel like, how many guys know you live in a world, and this is why we live in this world. It is a world that has lost any sense of authority. Don't come at me, man. Don't put that on me. Listen, that might be right for you, but that's not right for me. Right? You guys who are old enough, you've been hearing this stuff since the 1960s, getting more and more and more and more traction. And now we live in a world where nobody has to look outside of themselves to say, this is how it is for me. Uh, that's a problem. you have an opinion about something? Do you recognize as a, as a creature, I'm not even saying as a Christian, as a creature, you don't have the authority in and of yourself to finalize your own opinion. Authority exists in this world. We're going to see it today and I'm going to have us look quite at it extensively. And it informs our obedience and our mission. Right? The Great Commission is not the great option. It's the Great Commission. So, you know, we don't get to to determine when, when, when we're on vacation from that or whether or not we've fully engaged it or whether or not that responsibility belongs to somebody else who looks like they know their Bible better. Well, they know their Bible better because they actually took this serious. They got around God and they listened to something from him because they knew they were ordered to by the king of the universe who had the right over them to say, hey, you know what? I know you want to spend all your time doing this over here and being really good at it, being known for it, creating a reputation and making some money from it. I know that's what you want to do, but I'm calling you a disciple who has the responsibility to go into all the world and make disciples. And I command you to do that. Now, if you don't have a sense of authority, that's just a suggestion. That's a billboard on the highway. Right? You obey the billboards. I mean, they're just suggestions, right? You know, hey, you can buy Bacardi or whatever the heck is up there on the board. Or you cannot. It's kind of up to you. But but this isn't a billboard. This is a word of God. But if God has become this loose being in the universe who doesn't really have any say-so over anything, he doesn't have the right to impose his ideas on us, well, then this is just a billboard. Got a few cool suggestions in it. I take them up on a lot of them. Some of them I'm kind of not okay with. But this is a God who wields authority. And we need to notice authority. So that's what this section is called. Noticing this word, exousia. It's the Greek word. And it's going to get translated in the Bible in two ways. And that's why I put so much of the definition here. Because this word is so important. It's going to get used over a hundred times in the New Testament. When you get to the end of the story. Where things are starting to wrap up. The book of Revelation uses this word 21 times in that one book alone. Because the right to do things and the power to do things is all about getting things to land in the end exactly where God said they would. If God does not have this kind of authority, then the book of Revelation is kind of like a flip a coin book. Maybe that's going to happen. Maybe it's going to turn out the way the Bible described it along the way. Because if God doesn't have the right and the power to do what he said, we don't really know whether revelation is going to happen or not. You don't really know whether you're going to heaven. You don't really know whether there's eternal life. You don't know a lot of things because you don't know if God can make good on his promises unless he has the right and the power to do it. And that's what that word embodies, this word exousia. I wrote a bunch of it in your definition there. You can go back and read it in your devotions. But it means this. It First, it is the ability to perform an action. So that's why it gets translated power sometimes. So sometimes when you're reading the word power in the New Testament, you're reading the word exousia in the Greek. Sometimes, not always. But it also means this. So on the one hand, it's the ability. But secondly, it also means the right, the authority, the permission conferred by a higher court. So if you spoke Greek in the day, that's what you would understand that word. It is both the power to do but it's the right to do something. You have permission from a higher court to do this. One of the things that the word dictionary translated, it says, by using the word exousia for God's power in in the Greek translation of the Old Testament, that's the Septuagint, it introduces a term that, listen, excellently expresses the concept of God's unrestricted sovereignty of the God whose very word is power. Right, so remember, the Old Testament's not written in Greek, but then there, there came a Greek translation. And so when the Greek language gets used in the Old Testament to translate it into Greek, the word exousia describes God's sovereign right to rule and to do whatever he determines to do. And it, and it comes from a root word here. That The root word means to be something that's right. To be lawful. It's an action, listen, that is possible because there is occasion for it or no obstacle to it. So when we talk about authority, something higher has determined this is right. We're not self determining it. Something lower is not. To, something higher has determined that this has the right to happen, it has the power to happen, and it is truly all throughout scripture. It is a characteristic of God himself that you and I must pay attention to in this world right now, but in the scriptures as well. Uh, Watchman Nee was part of a ministry team that brought the gospel into China uh, in the early 1900s. And he wrote a book called Spiritual Authority. Um, interesting, when you read this, this book, it's almost like reading Andrew Murray's book on humility. If you read Andrew Murray's book on humility, you'll, you'll walk away thinking, so... Everything in the whole Bible is about humility. I didn't know that until I read this book. Okay, when you read this book, you're going to think, so everything in the Bible is about authority. Hmm. Didn't know that. But sometimes somebody needs to pull you way to one side so you can at least get in the middle. But let me just grab a thought from him. This is super helpful. He says, the acts of God issue from his throne. And his throne is established on his authority. All things are created through God's authority and all physical laws of the universe are maintained by his authority. Authority is a tremendous thing in the universe. Nothing overshadows it. It is therefore imperative for us who desire to serve God to know the authority of God. It's absolutely necessary for us to meet God's authority and to possess a basic knowledge of what it is. As God's servants, the first thing we should meet is authority. Before we can work for God, we must be overturned by his authority. Our entire relationship with God is regulated by his authority. Authority, our entire relationship with God is regulated by whether or not we have met authority. If we have, then we shall encounter authority everywhere. And being thus restrained by God, we can begin to be used by him. See, authority puts us in touch with the order of things. The way in which the sovereign God put things in order the way he wanted them to be. And Jesus, I want to just notice something. Jesus, he seems to pay careful attention to authority. He mentions it in such a way that it's a key player. He does it here in this passage, right? He's praying to the Father, and he's going to bring up authority with his Father. Father, the hour has come. Glorify your son that the son may glorify you since, since you have given him exousia over all flesh to give eternal life to whom you have given him. Jesus paid attention to this, right? If you just fast forward just a little bit, just a number of hours from this prayer, you're going to get to John chapter 19. And you're going to have Jesus having a conversation with the most powerful person in that region, the governor of Rome named Pilate. And Jesus is going to have a conversation with this man who's exercising his role as a governing official and Jesus is not responding to him. He's being cross-examined. He's being asked questions. And Jesus sits silently until Pilate mentions authority. So Pilate said to him, You will not speak to me, right? The expectation is you get called before me, you respond to me. Do you not know that I have exousia to release you and authority to crucify you? I don't know what Jesus looked like in this moment. I don't know if he was making eye contact with him in this moment, if he was just staring off indifferently to everything he said until he said this. Jesus perhaps looked him in the eyes and said, you would have no exousia over me at all unless it had been given you from above. When this man brings up authority and the right to exercise power in this world, it gets Jesus' attention and he interacts with it. And he says something very, very, very revealing about authority. Take careful note. Where did Pilate get this authority from? Pilate's going to crucify the Son of God. Where do you get the authority to take such action? I mean, is authority kind of like uh, something you can discover it's trapped inside of a mountain somewhere? It's like nuclear weapons. You know, the U.S. has them. Russia has them. It's like nuclear power. You know, we could go to war. You got some power. We got some power. It, it's not like that. It, it's, it's more like um, one power plant that provides electricity to the entire world. Got a lot of extension cords running out of it. You can plug in over here and you can plug in over here and pilot plugs in over here. But if you take that extension cord and you start pulling on it and you follow it to wherever it takes you, eventually it takes you to one location. There's a source of authority in the universe and there's only one source in all the universe. So when we see the right to exercise power in this world, there's only one place you can get that from. You're going to have to go to the heavenly office and get a permit. And Jesus recognizes that. Pilate didn't seem to recognize it, but Jesus recognized it. And Jesus recognized it elsewhere, right? Mark, uh, Matthew, chapter eight, verse eight. We'll look through a bunch of verses today, but we're just going to visit them quickly. Matthew eight, verse eight. But the centurion replied, "Lord, I'm not worthy to have you come under my roof, but only say the word, and my servant will be healed. Remember, this is the centurion who comes to Jesus. His servant is, is sick and he wants Jesus to heal him. He says, for I too, I'm a man under exousia with soldiers under me. I say to one, go and he goes and to another, come and he comes to my servant, do this and he does it. When Jesus heard This, he marveled and said to those who followed him, truly, I tell you, with with no one in Israel have I found such faith. This guy gets it. This guy understands what runs the universe. This guy gets authority, the power to do things. He gets it. And he locates a relationship between faith and authority. I have not seen such faith in Israel. See, there's something about you and I walking by faith that needs to hold hands with authority when we go to do it. It's going to have everything to do with whether or not we're going to obey, whether or not we're going to have any confidence that God is in anything with us, because we, we recognize authority. Mark chapter 2, verse 10. But that you may know that the son of man has exousia on earth to forgive sins. He said to the paralytic, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed and go home. Remember this scene? It's interesting to me what Jesus chooses to point out in this, in this story. There's a paralytic here. His story is he hasn't been able to move in his life. And he comes before Jesus, and then he gets to get up and walk out of the room. Isn't that the story? Headlines read, man who's never walked before walks out of the room. Wow! Jesus headline, that you may know the authority I have to forgive his sins, to heal his body. The issue was, do you see the authority I have to act in this world? Hey, listen, it might be cool to see somebody be able to heal someone else, and it would be, and it is. But Jesus was demonstrating that he had the right to act, and he had the power to act in this world, and this world would be submitted to him when he does, and it will respond. And that's what he put on display. Matthew 7, verse 28, When Jesus finished these things, the crowds were astonished at his teaching, for he was teaching them as one who had authority, exousia. Something about Jesus operating with this that the, the Bible highlights it over and over and over again. A hundred times this word's going to be used. Jesus brings it up to his father in John 17. So we're at the end of Jesus' life. And the great commission is right on the doorstep here. A matter of weeks away when Jesus is going to commission his church to go and answer this call, to go into all the world. How does Jesus start this conversation with them? Matthew 28, verse 18. And Jesus came and said to them, All exousia in heaven and on earth has been given to me. You notice that word given again? Given to me. You you, you don't take authority. You, You have it given to you. And Jesus is going to now send us. Go, therefore, and make disciples. Go and make disciples. This is the same argument Jesus made to the Father. Father, glorify your name through the Son. Since you gave me authority over all flesh to give eternal life to them. You gave me that authority. You gave me the right to give eternal life to those people. God, you gave me that. And then he turns around and tells his disciples, and now I give it to you. And I send you out into all the world with my authority i have authority i'm giving it to you but what does this do for you when you think about going anywhere in the name of jesus going anywhere in the task of the great commission this is jesus highlights this. don't read too fast into the word go we usually don't usually start the great commission with go the great commission is go into all the world No, no no the great commission is the one who has all authority says go which means there's an obedience issue here now, there's an empowering issue now, there is a God who is going to make things happen because he has the right and the power to do that. That's what's being told here. So over and over again, when we read in scripture, authority interacts with what we do, what we don't do, what we pray, how we pray. Authority interacts with that. All right. So we move from Jesus to Satan. All right, I think I put a little note in your line. Let me read this note. Authority is power. It is permission. It is governing, controlling, limiting, setting boundaries. It is enabling and causing. All those things are bound up in this permit that you get from heaven to act in this world. All right, so there was this being we know as Satan. Satan needs authority to act in this world, right? And we get a front row seat scene to this in the book of Job. Turn to Job with me if you got a a Bible handy. Job chapter one. This is a scene before the throne, the, the power plant of the universe. Now there was a day, verse six, when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan also came among them. So the sons of God, the angelic hosts, are presenting themselves in this heavenly court before God. The Lord said to Satan, From where have you come? Satan answered the Lord and said, From going to and fro on the earth, from walking up and down on it. And the Lord said to Satan, Have you considered my servant Job? That there's none like him on the earth, a blameless and upright man who fears God and turns away from evil. Then Satan answered the Lord and said, Does Job fear God for no reason? Have you not put a hedge around him and his house and all that he has on every side? Apparently, Satan's visited Job. He's seen the landscape. He's wanted to do something there that's been difficult. You have blessed the work of his hands and his possessions have increased in the land. But stretch out your hand and touch all that he has. He will curse you to your face. And the Lord said to Satan, behold, all that he has is in your hand. Only against him do not stretch out your hand. So Satan went out from the presence of the Lord with a permit, didn't he? He came to the heavenly court, he sought a permit, and he got one. Now I'm not here to debate why did he get one? Is that kind of stuff still happening? The Bible doesn't go into some detail in this category, so I can't either. But what is clear here is at one point, Satan couldn't do something. And at another point, he could. And he could because he had visited the permit station in heaven. And he got permission from the only source that's available to give it. There's only one power plant. There's only one place that you can get authority to act and have power in this world, right? When Satan shows up and tempts Jesus, he still uses this language. Luke chapter four, verse five, and the devil took Jesus up and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. And he said to him, to you, I will give all this exousia and their glory. For it has been delivered to me, and I give it to whom I will. It has been delivered to me. Satan, how how did you get to be in this place? This was given to me. The right to have the power that I'm exercising, it was given to me. And Jesus, I'll give it to you. You notice Jesus doesn't turn around and say, <laughs> You have no idea what you're talking about. You ain't got no power. That's not what Jesus responds and says. There is authority in this moment. But the authority to act is an authority that was delivered to him. He didn't steal it from somewhere. He didn't go off and manufacture it. There's no counterfeit exousia out there that he discovered somewhere and he made it up. This had to have come from God. And you'll see it play out in the New Testament. When we get to Revelation all over the place in Revelation, there's a war being described, and there's beings that are being dispersed and dispensed into the theater of man, and they have authority, and that word is used 21 times because they're being sent with authority. They have the right to do things. Right? It's one of those examples, Revelation 13: verse 4. They worshipped the dragon, for he had given his authority to the beast. And they worship the beast, saying, who is like the beast and who can fight against it? There is this mysterious, invisible thing in this world. It is authority, exousia, that gives the right to exercise certain power in this world. But remember, Satan and and his host are just another group of created beings like Pilate. To which we would be right to say, you would have no authority at all had it not been given to you. So you and I are living in a world where authority is functioning and it's been dispersed and and God is ultimately managing this thing. But it's in places in hostile hands. And then there's man. Let's look real quickly at man here because this is where we are. Man doesn't have authority in and of himself. Man doesn't create his own authority, he doesn't discover it, he doesn't, it's not a skill that he works up. Man has to be given authority, the power and right to act and use it. So all the way back to created order before the fall, Genesis chapter 1, the creator says this, The God blessed them and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and the birds of the heavens over every living thing that moves on the earth. So humanity enters God's creation and gets a permit. The heavenly office gives man a permit to exercise authority in this world and to subdue things, to bring things under that authority and to have the power to be able to do that. God gave man that. And listen, the fall came An argument can be made that, you know, in that fall, this is where the the authority gets transferred to Satan. But, you know, as created beings, we we still live in a realm of this plan of God. Even fallen people are still demonstrating things that God created humanity to do. There's talented people out there. They don't know Jesus, but they got that talent from the Creator. There's smart people out there that God had given man the ability to subdue the earth By using information and understanding and learning and using stuff in the world so that that man could manage this world. And that's still happening. Even with fallen people, that's happening. So that transfer still is in this world. Luke chapter 22, verse 52 says, Then Jesus, he said to the chief priests and the officers of the temple and elders who had come out against him. Have you come out as against a robber with swords? And clubs, right? This is the last evening coming to take Jesus. When I was with you day after day in the temple, you did not lay hands on me. But this, this is your hour and the exousia of darkness. Jesus knew exactly where he was in this plan. There was a moment when authority was given to men to do exactly what they were doing to the son of God. He recognized that, but this is an interesting term. And, and I'm not nearly as smart as Jesus. And, and maybe you can join me in the difficulty that these moments create. I don't always know when this is an hour of darkness. I'm not always that discerning and I'm bumping into things. What was Jesus bumping into uh, a bunch of guys with torches and clubs and swords so it looks like, oh uh, boy, what do you do with this? Well, if you're natural minded like Peter, you pull the sword out and cut an ear off. You fight, right? I mean, this is what makes sense. They got swords. We need to get our swords. Peter, I didn't know you had a sword. Yep, been hiding it all this time. And, and let's fight. It just makes sense, right? This, in this hour, this is what we do we fight, right? Uh, right, Peter, you're the same guy that Jesus had to stare in the face and say, get behind me, Satan. You, you are not interested in. In the kingdom of God. You do not have those interests in mind. But Jesus in this moment. Recognizes all around him. Authority. The right. To exercise power. Is in this moment. And the way you're going to exercise it. Is with a torch in one hand. And a sword in another. And a crowd. And a kangaroo court that's awaiting me. But I get. If I pull on the extension cord. I get. This was given to you from above. This is not Jesus living in some setting that, oh, all of a sudden God got dethroned and wow, there's a a new king in town. No, no, no. There's only one source of authority. There's only one source of power, but this is a dark moment. I've said this before, but I, I think I can't say it enough. We, we are in danger in the information age of becoming the most natural-minded Christian generation that perhaps ever has walked on the face of the earth. We listen to so many other human beings tell us what to think. That we are in danger of being a people who don't really know what hour it is. Father, the hour has come. Oh, If I had been walking with Jesus... I'd have driven right past that hour. I'd have thought, well, something else got to be up, right? And I'd have probably been wielding a sword too and cutting off ears. Because C- we we are trained to look naturally at things. But there is activity in the spirit. There is, exousia. there is power that has a right to exist in certain moments, in certain ways going on. And that's what Jesus points out. But he uses this word again in a place that's near and dear to all of our souls. John chapter 1. Verse 12 describes man this way. But to all all people who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave exousia. He gave the right to become children of God. He gave the right. Where does anybody get the right and the power? Because it's an enabling word and a right word. How does anybody become a Christian? Pull on the cord. Till it takes you back to one source. He gave. This is humbling, isn't it? This is humbling. This, 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 this reduces us to a mindfulness of the grace and mercy of God. That I didn't discover something. I didn't, I didn't build up my technique. I didn't memorize some things. I, did, I didn't accomplish. I didn't find power to become a Christian. No, no. That power found me. He gave me exousia to become a child of God. Are you blown away by that? When we sing about grace, that's what we're singing about. There's only one place the power of your conversion and my conversion could have ever come from. The throne of God. What a thought. God chose to be this way to me. And when you're going to find that in John 17, You gave me the authority, the right to give eternal life to all those you have given me. All those you have given me. Not all those who volunteered. All those you have given me. It's quite a declaration you'll see in John 17 in a few weeks. J.C. Rouse says, we read that the father has given him power over all flesh that he should give eternal life. The keys of heaven are in Christ's hands. The salvation of every soul of mankind is at his disposal. Does that affect the way you pray? Does that affect the way you come before God who has exousia over the souls of humanity? Oh, it should. There's this authority thing playing in the background in a number of places here. I'm going to just read these passages real quick because they'll clarify some things for us. Matthew chapter 16, verse 19. I will give you the keys of the kingdom. Right now we're dealing with authority. Keys are about authority. And whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. And whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. You don't have to show your hands, but if you have any history in the realm of the spirit, Pentecost, charismatic, you have, you have used that verse. And I would probably have to say you have probably misused that verse. Because at some point, you know, I, I got to deal with the idea. Okay, so when I was in that little prayer meeting in somebody's house in 1984, I bound Satan. So what the heck is he doing bugging in it, y'all? Anybody thought about that? I bind you, Satan, for, for five minutes. I mean, how long does that last? Right, you just walk into a realm of silence. But what, you, what, you, what is not silent? is there, there is authority given by God to beings in this world, and you're not going to bind that authority. Right? So the idea that you're going to bind Satan, but Satan is on the playing field in the last book of the Bible. So you and I have bound him. No, no, we're not, we're not binding him. That's not how we use authority. That's not what this verse was supposed to draw us into. But we will see that there is activity of man that does confront the activity of darkness in this world. But, but we don't have that kind of authority to bind a being that God has given authority over this world. He's a God of this world. Uh, and, there, and he got that power from the only place you can get power. And he, he will lose it all from the same one as well. Right? Luke chapter 12 says, I will warn you whom to fear. Fear him who after he is killed has authority to cast into hell. That's the authority of the one who has ultimate authority over everybody's destiny. That, that should be sobering and real to every person. Whether you think that's fair, whether you think there's a God who does that or does not, this is the Bible describing the God of the universe has authority over the future of men in heaven or in hell. He has that authority. Revelation chapter one, verse 17. When I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead, but he laid his right hand on me saying, fear not, I am the first and the last and the living. I died and behold, I am alive forevermore. I have the keys of death and Hades. I have the keys, Jesus says. And you know, the closer you get to this thing called death in your life, the, the more that authority. Look for it. Look for it. Be looking for it when you're doing life on a daily basis, and you're aging, and you're getting a little bit older. And the, the thought that I'm I'm not going to last forever. I, I'm gonna I'm gonna hit this moment called death. That's that's more real to me now than it was ten years ago, and it's more real to me now than it was last year. And you're thinking about that, and thinking about all right. Do what Jesus... Look for authority. Look for the power and right in that moment. Who's got it? Well, the one who has the keys here. So when you get to that moment, what does that do for you? I know that in my event called death, the one who has the right and the authority over my existence is the one with these keys who conquered hell and death. And and that's supposed to do something for me if I'm paying attention to authority. Mark chapter 3, for man, it says... Jesus appointed 12, whom he also named apostles, so that they might be with him and he might send them out to preach and have exousia to cast out demons. So the people of God are given power and the right to engage spiritual beings. And this is different than binding Satan, who's got a role to play in God's redemptive purposes. But you and I will bump into, sometimes we know and sometimes we don't know, but we're bumping into spiritual beings. And there is given to man an ability, a power, a right. This is what's behind the Great Commission, that we go into a world that's got power in it, but we have power in it to exercise that power and overcome the kingdom. If you're looking for that authority everywhere, you should be looking for it here amongst the church. 2 Corinthians 10, verse 8. Paul says, For even if I boast a little too much of the exousia, our exousia, which the Lord gave for building you up and not for destroying you. Paul described his ministry in the church as having the power and right to do what he was doing. There are... Those among us in the kingdom of God that God has given the power and the right to minister into our lives. That's what Paul is referring to here. You know, there was a point in which, you know, years ago, some of us are around settings where you'd have that, you know, kind of teaching as, hey, 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 now, listen on, touch not the Lord's anointed. That was basically like a, a bumper sticker for don't say nothing bad about the pastor. Touch not the Lord's anointed. Right, and, and you know what? I'm, I'm, in some way, I'm making fun of that. But in in some way, if if you start realizing there is authority in this universe that comes from God, it doesn't come from somewhere else. It's not self-made. That you begin to recognize that there are people that God has placed. That that authority that they have, pull on the wire. Where does it go? It, it goes back to God. God. God gave them authority to accomplish something. Paul said, it's an authority to build you up, not to destroy you. It's supposed to be used a certain way, but it is there, and it does exist. So let me ask a couple quick questions, one quick question with a few responses. What happens when man properly takes notice of exousia? Well, first, he does what he's told. He walks in obedience because something greater than his own personal will is recognized and yielded to. If I recognize this is the universe God has made with his authority in it, then I am looking for an authority outside of myself because I recognize any authority I have is not autonomous. It comes from somewhere else. I should be looking somewhere else for what I'm doing, not doing, etc., Jesus says this in John 17, verse 4. He says, I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work you gave me to do. Your authority, your right to tell me, the Son of God, what to do with my life. To determine where it would go and where it would not go. What it would be like and what it would not be like. You had the right to do that. The Son of God is saying this. Bruce Milton, he paints an interesting thought here when he says this. He says, this text also speaks of a specific limitation, the work you gave me to do. From several points of view, there were limitations placed upon Jesus. Geographically, his whole career was confined within the boundaries of central Palestine, right? Jesus didn't see much of the world. He never saw Rome or Athens or Alexandria, to say nothing of the further-flung lands of the globe. His ministry was circumscribed also in terms of life experience. He never knew the intimacies of marriage, the struggles of parenthood, the challenges of middle age, or the limitations of aging. Even within the sphere of his teaching and healing ministry, there were multitudes of his needy contemporaries in Palestine whom he never ministered, whether in word or deed. Yet his ministry was perfect and whole. Because he did with complete and single-minded dedication all that he was given to do. So at the end, he could truly say, I have finished the work. Or more profoundly, in his final moments on the cross, it is finished. A similar limitation rests upon every disciple. We are not called to reach the whole world or to minister to every need. There is a specific work for us to do. And in finding and doing that specific thing to the limits of our powers lies our fulfillment and our peace. Do you ever think of all the choices and places, conveniences versus inconveniences, successes that Jesus didn't experience? Why did he not do that because i i only did what i was told and that's the posture of the son of god and he functions with an authority that he gives up this is how he interacted with authority he is the one who had all authority he created everything he is the creator right That, that that presentation from philippians where he did not consider equality with God a thing to be grasped but he humbled himself and he took the form of a servant and he became obedient even to the point of death on a cross see when when you get authority you get that's right that response Outside of myself is a creator who is over me. He has a will for me. Whatever I'm going to do is a reflection of that. I'm just doing whatever you've got me to do. Well, that looks really hard to do, but I'm a man under authority, so I don't get to say no to that because it's hard. Or I don't get to say yes to that because it's easier looking or more attractive to me or more my style or dress the way I like. I'm okay with that now. I just have to determine the one who is in authority over my life. What is he saying to me? And I just obey. That's what the son of God walked out. Secondly, he wields power for the sake of the king on the throne. He aligns himself with the position and decrees of the throne of God when you understand that your, your authority is a delegated authority, it comes from somewhere else. That means God has a view. God has an opinion and you and I are living in a world right now. It's redefining so many things and the temptation is going to be in an information age. Seems like everybody else is everybody else believes this way. So I'm kind of like over here, uh, But do you you see authority in this world? There's a throne. There's a God who created and he labeled things. So do I adopt his label? Well, if I get authority and I know that I too am a man under authority, before I go formulating my own opinion, I, I should put myself under the authority of his opinion. I'm just here to represent the king. I'm not here to make an argument of, hey, my preference would be this. And No, I think this because I had a relative one time who went through this and went through that. So therefore, my position is this. Hey, look, I, I'm, I'm sorry about some of the experiences that have touched our lives. But, but heart-tugging experiences that you've had or that somebody else even had in your life, they don't become the definers of the things that God has defined. I'm a man under authority. I don't get to change the labels that God has created. Lastly, what happens when a man properly takes notice of exousia When he is looking for exousia therefore he sees it in the places where God has placed it. Right, before I read this passage, put your seatbelt on because we're Americans. And if you read our founding documents, they got a lot of cool, wonderful biblical ideas in them. But the first one is, get off me. And that one's hard to manage. In order to, I think one of them says, cast off tyranny. The opinion that there's an authority over us that we don't want to be under. And that's kind of all over the place now. So now we live in a land where don't put that on me is our mantra. And anybody, anybody, any institution, I say, almost wanting to throw up, institutional authority, especially. You know what we think of that, right? right, Remember, there's only one extension cord for authority. When Romans 13 says this, let every person be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except authority. From God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed, and those who resist will incur judgment. That's a tough one, isn't it? When you don't care for the policies and the behaviors, the attitudes of a president or a governor or a mayor. Done not this any? <laughs> and that all of our players right now that we're kind of like, what the heck is wrong with some of these people? And obviously the, God, the, the Bible that calls us into agreement with it is not requiring you to agree with Joe Biden or Mayor Cantrell. You, you don't have to agree with people. But Romans 13 still exists. When I disagree with, I still see authority everywhere. Remember, authority was the thing that caught Jesus' attention. When somebody saw it, when somebody acted like they understood it, that caught his attention. Because it comes from somewhere. It's it's a right given by God in some way to exist. So can you really be careful? Because I, I don't think we get this very well. I don't think we get authority very well. I don't think we know how to interact with it. I think we're cocky Americans. The humility of coming before the king, we don't don't come before a king. We come with sticks and riots and protests and we'd like to kill that president if we get our hands on him. We're just in a different posture when it comes to authority. But listen, that idea about authority, you're, you're passing it on to everybody around you. I've told you this before. The way you model your attitude, not just toward policies and people in offices, but towards authority is teaching your children how they're going to respond to you one day. And all other authority. So be careful and be informed and be empowered by this. Jesus starts the Great Commission with a recognition of, hey, guys, be aware. I have authority and I'm giving it to you. So what do we do with this authority? Well, here's what I'd like to do with it this morning. I'd like to pray for some people this morning. I'd like to pray for a particular group of people this morning. Uh, And I'm going to tell you why I want to pray for this particular group. Matthew chapter 9. It's a moment where Jesus is is sending his, his team out to do ministry. Verse 35 says, Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom, healing every disease and every affliction. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, the laborers. Are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. In this next verse, and he called to him his twelve disciples, and he gave them exousia over unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal every disease and every affliction. Now be careful what you do with that. Because I don't think this equates to every person wielding any authority from Jesus can make any person whole in any moment. I don't think that's what that means. In the same sense that you and I can interfere with the demonic world by the authority that God has given us, but we cannot eliminate the demonic world. Right? So we have authority, but we don't have that kind of authority. But we do have authority. right? Jesus, when, when they went out, right? remember Luke records... The 72 that went out and they came back giving a report of this authority. And they talked about people being delivered and healed. They used the authority that God had given them to overcome other things that were in this world. That's that's what the kingdom is doing among us. So we actually have the right to exercise power. And God can break into any moment in a person's affliction, and overcome whatever that is. A healing need, and an oppression from an enemy need, which could be showing up physically in some people's lives, it did in the Bible. So here's what I'd like for us to do. And I think, Keith, you're going to send somebody back up here. Um, I'd like for us to pray for the sick in our midst. So if you're here this morning and and you've got something going on in your body. And you want to ask the Lord to intervene. We want to have folks pray with you and pray with on the mission, right? Go into all the world and and, and make disciples. When he sent out a team, they went into every village and they, they just did stuff that Jesus did. They didn't know what else to do. So they came across people that were sick and and Jesus had authority. He had the right to exercise power and he prayed. And those things responded to him because he had the right to exercise that power in this world. And he says, all authority is mine. I'm giving my authority to you. Now you go. So there's a simplicity in praying for the sick that we're not in control of whether they get healed or not. We're just in control of whether we pray for them. And whether we ask in faith, right? Remember, Jesus linked faith and authority together. When you saw that centurion who understood, this is is a matter of authority. Jesus made it a matter of faith. He says, I've not seen faith like this in Israel. This guy gets that what happens here comes from there. And there has ultimate say-so over here. He gets it. Well, that's what we want to do. So, could I ask you guys to stand up with me and... We're going to pray, but I, I want to call folks, if, if you need something to be touched in your body, and it matters enough to you that you've noticed it, right? Maybe it's something you've been dealing with for a while. Maybe it's been a long-term condition. I don't, I don't want to characterize your healing. If, if you want to be healed, you want to be healed. If you don't, you don't. But if you want to, why don't you come forward? We're going to take a minute and pray for you. Yeah, now thank you, old man. All right, so I'm standing here as well. I've got skin cancer in the middle of my forehead. If y'all been wondering, I'm not turning Indian and I'm not installing a widow's peak here. This is skin cancer in the middle of my head. I've got a stabbing pain in my back from some disc problem in my neck. But I'm gonna I'm gonna pray for us. So if you guys want to pray for me, at one of y'all or two of y'all, whenever, do that. But you guys push in, fill in across here, so folks can come pray. All right, so just based on what you've heard, based on what you know from the scriptures, if you were to come pray for somebody who some kind of force has been at work in their lives, right, the fallen force, sin as it just travels through a fallen world and it touches and it just operates in this world, right? Death wasn't necessarily something that the demons present. Death was the consequence of sin and demons certainly can interact with death. But Jesus overthrew death, right? He has the keys over death. And he demonstrated he has the keys over sickness as well. So uh, we know this, so we can just put this to to rest. Not everybody that gets prayed for gets healed. We know that. Jesus didn't get around to everybody who needed to be prayed for. So we're going to have to be okay with the fact that, well, maybe we're going to pray for some folks today, and they're not going to be healed. Okay. But we're still going to pray for them. And we're still going to bring our faith to this moment to recognize God's got authority over every one of these bodies that whatever existed up until this moment, he has the right and he has the power to make it not exist anymore. And he can change that from now on. And by the way, if any of you guys experience that, we want to hear from you in the coming days. All right. So if you're here to pray, please get around some folks and pray. If you want to come and pray with folks, um, come on up, find somebody to, to pray for them. Not a counseling moment, uh, if you want to ask them, hey, if, if, is there something you want to share with me? They don't have to share with you physically what's going on. Uh, but if you want to ask them, hey, is there a particular way that you're asking me to pray this morning? You can be comfortable to say, um, just I just need some physical healing. You can say that or you can tell them what it is. Either way. Father, draw us together here this morning, Lord. Lord, your kingdom comes among us in ways that save us in ways that change us, in ways that enrich us. Lord, this morning we're just asking, Lord, the, the God who has all authority and who has all power, Lord, we're just asking you this morning, would you look upon the physical needs that are represented in our body? Lord, diseases that have been present for a long time for some who have come and asked many times before. Lord, others who are experiencing something new going on in their body, not sure what it is, haven't, hasn't even been diagnosed yet. Father, we are calling on you this morning because you have the power and you have the right in this world to do whatever you desire to do. Jesus, you sent us out with the introduction that all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to you. So, Jesus, you have authority in this moment, right now, in heaven and on earth, to determine, to direct, to command these physical bodies this morning, to obey whatever you want for them. So Father, we come with that authority before your throne. Lord, we come to ask for you to bring the grace and the mercy of healing into these lives. Lord, we we come and we ask with a sense of boldness before your throne because the wall that divided us previously has been pulled down by Jesus himself. He has made a way for us through his blood, through his death, To be able to come to our Father and ask before your throne. So, Lord, that's what we're doing. Lord, you have seen these conditions. Lord, as you looked upon the crowds, Lord, and you saw them, that they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Lord, you have seen moments where some of these standing here this morning have felt helpless. They have felt like they are under something that is getting the best of them and they they just don't know how to get free of this, Lord. They have been frustrated. They have been fearful. Lord, you have seen sheep without a shepherd right here. And Lord, you had compassion upon them. You prayed for laborers into the harvest to go out. Lord, well, here are laborers. We're asking today, Lord, would you meet with these folks? Would you touch their bodies? Would you bring about something that only you could do? with the power and the authority and the might that only you possess in this world. Also, Father, thank you for demonstrating this. Lord, thank you when you came into the world, you could have healed no one. You could have just told people that there's healing awaiting you in the next life. I'll see you there. But Lord, you healed them one after another. Lines were formed and people sought you to interrupt this world's version of sickness. And God, that's what we're asking for today. God, interrupt this hour of sickness in these lives and bring glory to your name. God, we ask that that celebration would be available to us in the coming days. Lord, as as some that we've prayed for this morning get to tell a story of that pain went away. I didn't need to have that procedure. Something different happened to me. The Lord had touched me. Lord, would you give us celebration in the days to come before your throne in answer to these prayers? Lord, in every way that we are doing life this week, Lord, give us eyes that see authority all around us. Your authority at work in places that we may never have suspected it, but Lord, you are at work and your authority, your right to rule your universe is all around us. It is available to us, we are sent with its influence among us, Lord. People will respond because you are doing a work. You're giving them the right to become children of God. They'll respond, Lord, because you're doing something in their lives. So Father, thank you, God. We thank you for your word. Jesus, thank you for this prayer. It gives us so much insight into the world that we live in, the lives that we seek to live for your glory and for our good. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God bless you guys. We'll see you next week. Great to have all of you guys who are watching us this week. We hope to see you soon.